the gospel. Today's really a gospel message. It's a gospel passage, and the gospel is more than words, and that's something so important for us to get, is it's not just words. It's not a belief system. It's the power of God. It's accompanied with supernatural power that God enables us to, to do the things that Jesus does, because it's him working through us. And everybody that's been born again through faith in Christ has become a new person. We may not feel very new. We may feel like we're getting older, which is quite true. However, he's the one who makes new. And uh, people were changed. You think about people follow Jesus. They were changed body and soul. Some lepers who had this permanent condition, he cleansed them. And people who were born blind, they were able to see. Paralytics were able to walk again. And that's just a shadow of what he did for them spiritually when they trusted in him. And all the time, God's power, it's intersecting our lives. And I believe there's a desire of God to do this more often, but we sometimes aren't aren't ready for it. But even if we're not ready for it or thinking about it, God still does awesome things. And that's what we'll see in today's passage, where, you know, you're just going about your day. And God does something remarkable. I remember many years ago, I was serving at a church. I was doing youth pastoring, and and I was prepared to with a game for the kids, with a lesson. And there was a man in the foyer who was battling demonic stuff. And I had no idea that that was going to happen that day. But he came in burdened and afraid and oppressed, and he left rejoicing and celebrating. And it's like, this is the power of God. That God did something remarkable when it wasn't in my plan. I had not prepared myself for this, but God just brought it to light and he did it. And that's what we're going to read about today. Where you have a Saul of Tarsus who can become uh, Paul the Apostle when Jesus Christ gets a hold of him. And we'll read about this lame beggar that is transformed in a moment, both inside and outside, through the power of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I want to see that work happen in the world, but I also want to see that work in my own life, where I am one who is willing and available to be used by God as the Holy Spirit directs us. You've heard the term that that God's ways are higher than our ways, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it's really not cliche. God's ways are so much higher than ours. His plans are far beyond what our greatest imagination could be. We know about the power of God in theory. We can point to examples in his word when he's done miraculous things. We can even point to other people's lives or in our lives where God did a miracle. God did something that man alone could not do. But we have no idea what God intends to do today through you, in you. That he can take something that's been a permanent condition and he can reverse it. A way that you've been thinking or feeling that can be changed in an instant when we trust in him. We suggest things to God about how he could resolve a situation. How he might work because it would you know, be beneficial for us probably. But we, we say, oh, it would be for your glory, God. You know, it's for you. And God's like, hmm. No, Really? We say, well, no, it's really for me, and it's the way that I think it should go. And it makes sense, right? Rubber stamp, please. Um, our best attempts to suggest what God ought to do resembles doctors before the discovery of microbes. 
where we begin to bloodlet and we weaken the patient rather than actually administering a cure. Doctors for many years did not know that there was microbial activity, you know, bacteria that was causing the illness. Thankfully, now a lot of that has come to light. Um, but spiritually, we don't know. But we need God's power, and he knows, and he's able. So praise the Lord, through the power of Jesus Christ, we can be changed, we can see him work in our lives and through them. The disciples had no idea that after Jesus died on the cross, he was going to physically rise from the dead. They didn't. He told them, and they didn't get it. They had no clue when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost that they would speak in tongues the marvelous works of God and 3,000 people that day would be added to the kingdom of God. That was not in their plan, but God did it. So these things really fill me with wonder of the awesomeness of our God, that he has such plans and power to do exactly what he wants and he uses us as weak instruments in ourselves but strong through his gospel to do everything he wants. I like how David concludes his praise in Psalm 72, 18 and 19. He says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Like God only does marvelous things. He only does wondrous things. Things that fill us with wonder. And say, how does he do that? And let's never lose that sense of wonder. The greatness of our God and his wisdom. Let's pray before we open the word. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your marvelous excellency that words cannot begin to describe how wonderful and beautiful, gracious, loving, generous, and powerful you are. And we just bow before you today, Lord, in reverence, recognizing you as our creator and king over all, that you are majestic in all your ways, that nothing on earth compares to you, and you are greater than all. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit today. Thank you for condescending to our lowest state, for raising us up, and for accepting us into the beloved through Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that you would fill us again uh, with awe and wonder at the greatness of our God in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. The previous chapter told us that many signs and wonders were done by the apostles, and this is a notable one early on. It was not a feast day. There's really nothing special about this occasion. It was the, the normal time to go up to the temple for prayer. Uh, and even in the most routine moments, God desires and will do miraculous things. The text says it was the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. Interestingly, it's the same time of the day when Jesus died on the cross and he breathed his last and said, it is finished, the ninth hour. And as they go... To the temple, they see a beggar that was laying by the gate. He was laying because he was lame. And he'd been carried there daily to beg at the temple. To this day, there's plenty of beggars in Jerusalem. And 
I don't know if you're like me, but giving can be a little tricky to navigate sometimes. Um, it's hard to tell who has a genuine need or who's just doing this to make money on the side or by giving money you're enabling sinful choices. And I, I heard the dilemma described this way. If you're walking down a street and someone asks you to hold a ladder, you would likely, if you're able-bodied, say, oh, no problem, I can just hold that for you. But if you found out that holding that ladder was to commit a robbery, would you still hold the ladder? Well, no, you wouldn't want to be part of that problem, right? So in the same way, you can't tell by looking at someone on the surface whether they have a genuine need or not, if you're helping them or enabling them to continue a, a destructive lifestyle. But as we'll see, the Holy Spirit, he gives us wisdom to give the person what they need. And it's far above what is in our bank account. So this lame beggar, he had a legitimate need. He was unable to work. He suffered from this permanent condition. He was dependent on others for survival. And he went to the gate looking for people to support him. Any hope of him being well enough to walk or to work was out of the question. It was beyond the power of doctors to cure him. There was no physiotherapy that was sufficient to help his ankle bones have the strength for walking. And he was resigned to begging. This was his way of living. And I believe this is the way we can go through life. We, we endure problems that God has the power to cure us of or to help us have strength to overcome. And we can't blame this man for doing all he could. He asked for alms because he needed them. But God had more to give than what the man asked for, as we will see. And we see the grace of God here. When we're ignorant of what God has in store for us, he still gives us what we did not expect or dream of. Can you say that that's the case in your own life? Where God's like, well, I'm going to withhold all these blessings for you because you did not specifically ask me for them. And we're like, well, I had no idea you were that awesome, that you could do that. But God still does that. Even when we don't ask, we're asking for, this guy's asking for, for money. He's looking for loose change. But God had something totally different in store that was going to transform his life. It was going to change him. Verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. Peter and John are just going to a prayer meeting. You know, they're walking just their routine, normal day to pray. And they, prayer is important, but they stopped and engaged the man. And I look at myself and saying, being a destination person, some people are really into the journey. Like, the destination is really of no consequence. It's just the, the fun of getting there. For me, that's really not the fun of it. The fun of it is actually getting to that end result as quickly as possible. That's just, I guess, how I'm built. And that's changing a bit. I'm enjoying the journey. Don't get me wrong. But, but being who I am, I'm like, whoa, prayer time. I'm running right past the guy. I'm not engaging with him. I've seen him a hundred times. I'd maybe give him some loose change. But uh, Peter stops 
and he looks at him and he says, hey, look at us. He gets his attention. The man gives him his undivided attention. Why? The text tells us because he expected to receive something. He didn't know what, but, you know, silver, a few shekels. He's expectant that he was going to receive something. And Peter, he says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He grabs him by the hand. He lifts him to his feet, and it says, In that instant, his ankle bones were knit together. They received strength, and he stood. So the beggar that could not stand, he's now jumping around praising God. It's like, whoa, this is quite a shock. Gold or silver would have been a worthy gift. You know, can you imagine being a beggar and being given gold? It's pretty, pretty cool. But this is far greater. Money could not buy this. Greater healing that money could not buy. And what I find amazing and what we'll see as we go through the book of Acts is there's no ritual here. There's no formula. They were led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to do whatever God desired. There was no anointing with oil. It wasn't like, okay, guys, let's gather around, lay hands. And it was like, there was really no prayer. He just says, in the name of Jesus, get up. And he grabbed him by the hand and he stood. Having the Holy Spirit within them, Peter and John, they were guided and empowered to do the things Jesus does, the things Jesus did as he walked this planet. And they had means of helping this man that no other person on earth could. They could bring healing to his body and to his soul. Peter was gifted with faith in this moment to order the man to stand on his feet And when the faith of this man was mixed with obedience, he was marvelously healed. And in reading this, I'm convicted how many times I've seen a need or heard a request and instantly only saw my own limitations rather than considering the power of God in this situation. Let's not be content to give gold when God wants to give something far greater And what we have through Jesus and the gospel certainly is. This man was not praising Peter or John. He realized it wasn't because these guys were super holy or really powerful or spiritual that he was healed, but it was the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry, he wrote on this subject, When God by his word commands us to rise and walk in the way of his commandments, he will give us his spirit to take us by the hand and lift us up. If we set ourselves to do what we can, God has promised his grace to enable us to do what we cannot. If God commands us to do something through his strength, we can do it. Do you identify in any way with the lame man in this text? We all want to identify with Peter, you know, the healer, the one that God uses to do the miracle. But are you the one that needs a miracle, that needs the touch of God? I certainly identify with this man when it comes to doing miraculous things. It's like, stand up, lame man. Well, I'm lame. How can I do that? I can feel lame when I try to, you know, I'm sharing the gospel with someone. I feel very ineffective at doing it. I say, man, I'm so lame. I'm not able to communicate very well, or, or they don't seem to receive the things that I'm saying. But the fact is, when we trust and obey Jesus, he will lift us up. He will cause us to stand, and having done all to stand. 
and even walk and leap and praise him. Verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. This man was well known in the temple precincts. People had walked by him. They said, oh, that's the, that's the beggar that's sitting at the beautiful gate. He was a recognizable face. They had seen him day after day, year after year. Can you imagine if you were the guys who carried him there every day? You've been doing so for the last 10 or 15 years. And you're like, hold on a second. I've been carrying that guy day by day, and now he's, he's jumping higher than I can. What is going on with this? What is this transformation? It says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And the, the thought came, what does it take to amaze you? What does it take to amaze me when you're like, wow? When you're, cause I, we see a lot of amazing things, right? You see videos of people doing incredible stunts. You're like, wow, it's amazing that someone could physically do that. Or, um, you, you read a statistic. Whoa, that's phenomenal. I, I really don't understand that. But the jaw dropping where you, you double take and you, you're amazed. And you're like, I don't know how that happened. And this is not a trick. This is real. I don't know what's more amazing, really, the healing of the lame man or the transformation in Peter. That one moment, he is denying Jesus Christ, and now he's dropping a Jesus Christ of Nazareth in public and lifting the man up to his feet and saying, stand up. It's pretty phenomenal. I remember what Nathaniel said before he believed. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We sometimes might feel that no good could come from our obedience to God. Oh, what good is it? You know, I've tried to obey. I have obeyed, and it just doesn't seem to pan out. Don't seem quite to get the results I'm looking for. But know that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ for all who believe on him. As I'm reading this, I was thinking, how often does the name Jesus Christ occur in my common everyday conversation with people? If, if I, I listen to, mo- I think, almost all Christian music of different sorts, um, and, and it used to really bother me when I would read music by Christian artists, so metal or rock artists, where the name Jesus Christ is very seldomly said, if ever. It's alluded to. And I'm like, well, why don't they just come out and say it? But then if I look at my own life, I say, well, how often do I just come out and say Jesus Christ of Nazareth to someone on the street? You know, how often do I talk about Jesus Christ in such a way that's almost an introduction to the person where talking about Jesus is more important than even talking about me? Like, oh, my name is Peter. You know, the Holy Spirit came upon me and I'd like to do something for you. Like, there's none of this going on. The man just, he just says, hey, look at us. I don't have money, but what I do, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. So if we're, if we are shy or reluctant to even utter the name, or if it doesn't enter our minds to, to say the name of Jesus Christ, can we really expect the power of Jesus Christ to be at work in our lives? If we won't talk about him, 
should he manifest his power in us? Because then it would be of us, wouldn't it? Not of him. So Peter comes right out. He gives glory to God, and we'll see he continues to. Remember the story with Naaman the Syrian, the man who was, he was a leper. And he had this maid, this little girl. Uh, she could have been a teen. But she was a young girl that was taken captive and was uh, a servant in his house. And when she heard that her master had leprosy, she's like, oh, if only he could, she, he could go to the prophet that's in Samaria. If only he could go to, to Elisha, he could be healed of his leprosy. Now, I am certain that Elisha never sat this girl down. He said, all right, now, if you're ever captured or if you're ever in a foreign land, I just want you to know there's certain things that God's put in my skill set. One of them is to heal leprosy. So if there's ever an opportunity, you know, leper, cancer, you know, delimbed, I can do these through the power of God. He never said that. But this girl had faith in God, that through God, this prophet, he can do anything. He can heal anybody. If you're sick with something, talk to this guy, Elisha. He has the power of God to heal. She believed that. He followed through with it. He dipped seven times in the Jordan, and he is miraculously cleansed. We need to decide if we believe the power of Jesus will be displayed in our lives, even as it is through Peter and John here. We have to just come to the conclusion that absolutely this is how God can operate in my life. This is the way he wants to operate in me and operate through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not on my whim or my plan. Again, this was not planned, but God knew about it, and God had prepared Peter and John for this moment. Jesus exists for more than healing or helping. He came to save sinners. That's why he came. And these signs that were done, they show his ability to do so, just like he rose from the dead. Acts 3.12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. This man is jumping, praising God. The beggar, the beggar that was at the beautiful gate. He's you know holding on to Peter and John. And people come running. Peter sees this and seizes the opportunity to preach. I would have been really skeptical if I had seen this beggar. Like I knew him and I see him walking around. I'd be like, well, was he faking it all that time? He couldn't have been. No, I, I would have been really definitely confused. And Peter dispels any notion that this man had been healed through his own power or holiness. And then he says, why do you marvel at this? Why is this amazing to you? Why are you looking at us like we're from another planet? Um, why should it be strange that we healed in the name of Jesus Christ um, as Jesus Christ healed as he walked? Because Jesus is alive. Couldn't Jesus heal through his followers as well? And then Peter 
as he does on the day of Pentecost and here, he tells them of their guilt before God for delivering up Jesus to be crucified. Pilate was happy to let Jesus go. He's like, all right, we whipped him. That should be enough. We'll, we'll set him free. And, but they're like, no, we demand Barabbas, a murderer. So he's like, you guys deny Jesus. You committed him. Sure, the Romans were the instruments that killed Jesus, but you're responsible before God because you denied him. Look at how he describes Jesus. He's called God's servant. He's called the Holy One and the Just and the Prince of Life. This is who you denied. This is who you crucified. These are all quite ironic because they revered Moses, the servant of God, yet this was the one who spoke to him from the burning bush. They recognized the holiness of the priests, the temple, and the anointing oil, but Jesus is the one whose presence filled the most holy place. They loved to study and keep the just laws of God, yet he was the one who inscribed them on tablets of stone with his own finger. They searched the scriptures because they believed in them. They had eternal life, but life was in Jesus. So it's like you denied the one who gave you the law. You denied the holy one. You denied the just one. The one that, that God promised to send, you're guilty of his blood. God glorified Jesus by raising him from the dead. And Peter and John and hundreds of others were eyewitnesses of this truth. Now, while many of us are not likely guilty of condemning an innocent person to death, we have also irreversibly sinned before God. The things that we've done that are wrong, we can never undo. There's really an enormity of guilt in us that is beyond our comprehension. We can't even begin to grasp the, the level of our sin. And it's like every sin that we commit, it's a blight upon our souls. It's a spiritual leprosy leading to death. Have you ever had that sinking feeling when you've been found out? When you said something that was like, I remember one time I was running with my cross-country team and uh, it was kind of a sledging match. Unfortunately, it was, it was awful. It, it was a sledging match about our coach who was not around. And it was kind of, you know, one guy said one thing, someone said something else. I chimed in. And then you hear his voice immediately behind you because he's been riding on a bicycle behind us while we were running. Had no idea. That was not a good feeling. You're like, oh no, I know he heard that. How long has he been there? No one looked around. But that, that feeling, I think we've all had that feeling. I think it may happen for us more as children than adults. Possibly because we're, you know, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and you do silly things. But you know, there's some things we don't outgrow. One of them is doing and saying silly things. We still do. And sinful things. Not just innocent, deceptive, wicked, lying, deceitful things. And in the light of the evidence, there's no backpedaling. There's no excuses. We can't get rid of it. There's no hope when we just throw our mercy on the, on others. Because even then, our sins can be remembered and brought to light. 
But thanks be to God, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, there's hope for us when we confess our sin before God, we repent and we ask for forgiveness. God says, I will remember your sin no more. He doesn't forget about it. He says, I'm not going to remember it. It's very positive. Verse 16, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The physical strength displayed by this man who leaped and praised God, it was indicative of the spiritual transformation that takes place in a person when you're born again through faith in Jesus. There is power in Jesus it wasn't the miracle which saved the man or gave him this perfect soundness, but faith in Christ. That is what made him whole. Miracles can prompt people or stir up someone to believe, but miracles do not make believers. I was reading this morning about Jeroboam. Jeroboam was a king in Israel, and God had promised to give him the kingdom. Jeroboam's like, well, I know I have ten tribes, but if they keep people keep going up to the temple to sacrifice, they're going to become loyal to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. So, all right, I'll set up uh, a, a altar in Bethel and an altar in Dan. And I'll say, oh, it's too hard for you. It's too long of a trip to go up to Jerusalem as God's commanded. You just worship God right here before these idols. And he became a priest. So one day he's before the the uh, the altar and he's offering incense and this pr- this prophet comes and says he he speaks against Jeroboam and against the altar and he says as a sign that this is going to happen that the bones of the priests are going to be burnt on this altar that altar is going to break and the ashes will be poured out Jeroboam's like seize him and it says as he reached out his hand dried up he was unable to bring it back to him and then the altar breaks and the ashes pour out. And so this is pretty miraculous, right? Pretty hardcore moment. You know, he's stuck with his arm out here with his shriveled up arm. The the altar is just broken all by itself. And he says, oh, entreat God for me about the reuse of my arm. So he prays his arm is restored to him so he can use it again. Well, at the end of the chapter, even after seeing all these things in his own body, I mean, he saw it happen. It says, yet he did worse. Because he became a priest himself and he appointed the lowest of the people to serve as priests. It's like, hey, you had a withered hand. You saw that rock just break and all the ashes pour out just when the man said it. But he didn't believe. He continued his own way. It'd be nice if if someone saw a miracle and that meant that they trusted in Jesus. But we know that when people trust in him, God does miraculous things in their lives. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. She had 12 years. She's going to doctors. She spent her whole livelihood on trying to cure this disease. She's unable. And Jesus says in Mark 5, 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And she was. The Samaritan leper, who Jesus healed in Luke 17, 19, he says, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So there's this connection between faith in Christ and wellness, wholeness, both in the body and the spirit. If we will not believe until Christ does the thing that we demand, we really have no more faith than the Pharisees 
who were blind in their sin remained. And they say, show us a sign, Jesus. The day after he just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, they still would not have believed him. It was customary for this man to be laid by the gate called Beautiful. It's likely, it does not say it in Scripture, but it's very likely Jesus himself walked by this man. Remember, it had only been a few months by now um, since Christ's death and resurrection. And, and all those times, Jesus did not heal the man. There's a time and a purpose for everything under heaven, uh, even a time for lameness and a time for healing. The God that created Aaron, who could speak well, he also made the deaf and the blind as he purposed. Remember when that that uh, blind man, it says, well, why was this man blind? This man sinned or his parents sinned that made him more blind? He says, oh, neither, that the, the glory of God would be demonstrated in him. So God has this plan, and it involved for this man being lame for a period of time perhaps much longer than what seems fair, right? Like, why didn't he heal him all those years before? All we have is by God's grace. When God chooses to heal physically, if he chooses us to remain in an infirm state, that can be used for God's glory as we trust him. Jesus was willing to heal people who never even thanked him. But this man, he praises God. He glorifies his name. And we'll read it, read more in verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. It was true that the Jews had condemned Christ in ignorance. But ignorance is not a valid defense, right? If someone was guilty of murder, but They would never be proclaimed innocent because they said, I didn't know it was illegal to kill that guy. He had it coming. You know, he, he deserved it. Oh yeah. Okay. You're innocent of murder because you just didn't know. That's cool. No, that is ridiculous. So they weren't off the hook, even though God had foretold what would happen. The prophets had spoken of Christ coming, that he would suffer and that he would die. But, uh, that didn't make the Jews innocent, they still were guilty of the body of the Lord. So they needed to repent. They weren't to blame God. Well, God knew about it beforehand, so it's not really a sin. No, it was a sin. God knew about it, yes, he knew about it. But you still need to repent and be converted. That word converted, it means to change from one state to another, to turn from one sect or religion to another. Um, We need God to convert us, don't we? To change us? I can't change myself, but we have to 
uh, submit to that change. Forgiveness of sins and salvation go together. You cannot have one without the other. The flesh doesn't want to repent. The flesh does not want to admit that it's been wrong. It wants to justify itself. But when we repent, it says times of refreshment come from the presence of the Lord. And that is lovely. So we like the end result. We don't like having to take the the hit on our pride to admit that we've done wrong before man or God. If you could turn in your Bibles to Psalm 32, 1 through 5, we see this is the case for David. Where he had a season of laboring under a weight of guilt, and the refreshment came when he repented. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. So the word selah is like pause and think about this. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Think about that. Take some time that God would forgive, not just cover our sins, but remove them as far as the east is from the west, that they would have no memory of them whatsoever, no record in heaven or on earth, because he has washed us with the precious blood of Jesus. So blessed, happy is the one whose debt is paid, whose transgression is forgiven. Peter quoted words spoken by Moses in Deuteronomy 18.15. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me in your midst from your brethren. Him you shall hear. That was the, those were the words of Moses. It's interesting. He says, a prophet like me. Moses was initially rejected by the Jews, wasn't he? The Hebrews. Remember, he goes and he tries to save those. Uh, he sees the, the Egyptian hitting or beating the slave. And he figured, we learn from Stephen's address, that that was going to be the way that Moses would be known to the people as the deliverer God had raised up. So he beats up the, the Egyptian, killed him, hit him in the sand. But then, the next day, he sees them quarreling, says, hey, why are you guys fighting? And they say, are you going to kill me too, like the Egyptian? And he's like, whoa, these things are known. So he flees. And even after he came, it was after 40 more years, it wasn't easy for him, was it? He's like, Lord, these are your people. They are a handful. I have, what am I supposed to do with them? Moses had been sent as a deliverer for the Jews from slavery in Egypt. Jesus was sent and rejected by the Jews, not just for the Jewish nation only, but for all sinners. He came not to to remove people from physical slavery, but from slavery to sin and death, hell and Satan. He came to break those bonds so we can be free. Jesus spoke the word of God. And how does Peter put it? All who refused to hear the words of the Savior he sent would be utterly destroyed. 
So we see repentance is really a, it's a life and death decision. In the law, God put before his people the path of life and the path of death. He's like, I'm letting you guys choose. You can go the way of life. You can go the way of death. You can go the way of blessing or you can go the way of curse, of the curse. You, you get to choose. Here they are. I've illuminated them for you. Go in the right way. Choose life and live. I want you to live. God has created us to live. And he wants us to live. Jesus gives an abundant life. All along the way, we've had those choices, haven't we? Even as a child, your mother barks, don't touch that. And you're like, what? And you touch it anyway and burn your hand. And Okay, yeah, these things happen. I remember disobeying my parents and being quickly swatted. You know, there was, there was a routine that we went through and we'd be taken to a neutral area and talked to and have a paddling. Um, but, but see, not all sins have such quick and obvious consequences. It's not that clear cut. Sometimes it's just like a, really an insidious disease that's within us that we don't realize that, oh man, my body is racked with cancer. I had no idea. I didn't know that I had that bone disease or this or that. Um, and it's just quietly happening beneath the surface. So it's so important that we do repent. The wages of sin is death. Without forgiveness, it's like they're constantly accruing interest. Abel's playing cricket, and one of the the grandpas, he, he goes through the stats, and he's like, oh, I've checked the stats of the team. And you can go online and check the stats of the club and see the, the averages. And, and uh, I'm sure as, as a player, you want good, good stats. But even if you have bad stats, it may be a little embarrassing to see it written there, but it doesn't cost you anything. Imagine if there was a sin registry or a database where you could put in your name and see what you've accrued in your lifetime. Whoa. Now that would be, that would be a lot of negatives, I'm sure. You know, a lot of red in the ledger. Um, and the cost, the, the personal cost for sin, it's your body and your soul forever. Like it's really extreme. <laughs> And how glorious it would be as a believer to put your name into that registry and see 0.0 debt. No debt. Only gain for us as believers. Only eternal blessing. You're like, I don't deserve those stats. I don't deserve that kind of um, blessing. Having been washed clean of debt, it's not invitation for us to run up more debt. Right? That we would... And that's the thing about uh, living by credit. There's always the, if you, if you go to a credit website and you say the dangers of credit, the first thing that they'll say is the chance that you're going to spend more than you can afford. And every sin is more than we can afford. Can't pay on that ourselves. It's like, whoa, that's way too expensive. That's my life. And that's my life with Christ. Sin can still, as a believer, separate you from God, from fellowship with God. And so the call is always, whether you have never followed Jesus before, to repent. And if you're following Jesus, to repent and to con uh, consider your ways, that you're walking in the way that pleases the Lord.
So finishing in verse 24, Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, also have foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away everyone from your iniquities. After Jesus rose from the dead and walked on the road to Emmaus with the two beleaguered disciples, um, it says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded in all the scriptures things concerning himself. You read that in Luke chapter 24. The Jews who saw the lame man walking and heard the word of the Lord, he says, you guys are the sons of the prophets. To you is given the the gospel and the way of eternal life. The gospel is given to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. And so he says, this covenant that God made with Abraham, you're part of that covenant. This is for you. This is for your salvation. It's like God gave the Jews opportunity to bags forgiveness and salvation. We just claim that. Like, I claim that. You guys ever bags front seat or, right? He gave them dibs. We would say dibs where I, when I grew up. I've got dibs. That means I've called it, so it's mine. You can't, you can't say anything about it, because I called it. <laughs> and God's like, hey, I've given you all a seat at my table if you want to sit there. If you'll submit to being with me on my terms, you've got a spot forever with me. So the promise is for you. Don't say, oh, well, it's not really for me. No, it is for you. And the promise is to us. What did, Peter say in Acts chapter 2, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, your children, to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord will call, this is for you. The men of Israel, they needed to perceive their guilt before they could repent and be redeemed. They needed to know sin had separated them from God before they would think to draw near to him. We live in a day where many people deny even the existence of God. Forget even the validity of his word. They, they don't even, you're, you're not even on level ground when it comes to God being in existence. These Jews, they all worshiped God. They trusted God. They had his laws. They thought all was well between them and God because, hey, I go to prayer at the time of prayer. I go to the hour of sacrifice. I give even to this beggar. Well, I used to. Now he's not begging anymore. He's jumping around. And I go to the feasts. in. So they had all these things that they looked to to say, see, I'm righteous, I'm righteous, I'm righteous, because I do these things. We can debate, if you, I'm not going to debate with you, but you could debate over whether it's harder to bring a heathen to salvation or the self-righteous to repentance. They're both impossible to reach on our own, right? Because there's blindness and unbelief in all sinners. And only Jesus can open the eyes of the blind and cause them to see their need to, for, to repent and to believe in him. If you could please turn your Bibles, we'll close in John 5, 33 through 40. Words that Jesus said as he spoke to the Jews. Peter's really echoing some of the things that he says here. The great works that Jesus did, they testified of his true identity as the Son of God. This healing of the man at the beautiful gate, 
It was additional evidence and opportunity for people to repent and believe in him and say, you know, I am guilty. I was cheering when they led him away. I was the one who shouted, away with him, crucify him. Those words, I'm embarrassed of them now, but they came out of my mouth. And I deserve judgment for this, that that God would forgive me and be struck with the wonder of such a God who is so gracious. John 5, 33 through 40, Jesus said, You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus came to save. He came to give life. And he's promised to give eternal life to all who repent and believe. That beggar was a different man after that day because Jesus Christ of Nazareth raised him to his feet and strengthened him. I wonder, did he go back to that spot at the beautiful gate? Didn't need anyone to carry him. I wonder if he walked back there and kept on begging. Don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he used that strength that God gave him to proclaim what Jesus did for him. And may we be like, like that kind of beggar, right? We, we need to come to Jesus. We are like beggars. Realize that I have nothing and I have no ability in myself that I need him to redeem me, to lift me up, to cleanse me of my sin and to look to him with expectancy, believing that he is going to make good on his promises that even if he doesn't give us silver and gold, he will uh, restore our souls. He will lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. With God, the routine is never routine because he's there. And wherever God, God is, there's the power of salvation to heal, to restore, to redeem, and to make new. I love that God's power is greater than mine and his ways are higher than mine. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you do have just amazing power to do everything. And everything you do is marvelous. Lord, we rejoice to read this story and to see this, this beggar walking, leaping, and praising God. And may we be like that man who was changed that day. And may we continually be changed as we repent, as we continue to be sanctified and made more into the image of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us more than silver or gold. You've given us more than physical healing, but you have restored our souls. You have made us new and adopted us into the kingdom of God, given us a seat at your table, and you have become our food. For your word says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you, Lord, for the indwelling spirit you've given us. 
Thank you for the works that you will do. And may we have that expectancy, Lord, for you to work and move in and through our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.